0: Oh, welcome to episode number 47 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett, brought to you by the good folks at Cerritos Auto Square, and we are live here in the IM Studios. On today's show, we have Mike Knox. Who is Mike Knox? Mike was a correctional officer at the only Supermax prison in Los Angeles County, California State Prison in Lancaster. And to tell you the truth, I didn't realize we had a Supermax here in L.A., and he discusses the prison's place in the Los Angeles community, which I find really fascinating. But the personal stories Mike shares about how he balanced life on the inside and outside for five years are eye-opening. Five years takes thick skin and a steely resolve, and Mike conveys both of those traits in this interview. Shares shares firsthand experiences about life on the inside, relationships with inmates and colleagues, and what made him get into this vocation in the first place. And as always, Stay tuned for your one thing to do in L.A. this week. I'm sending you to jail. But this is a jail with some serious L.A. history, including Al Capone. Except in this jail, you're not going to get locked up. All right, y'all, let's get into it. Now, Mr. Mike Knox, I want to thank you for being here. And I want to get straight to the crux of the show and talk about the fact that LA has a prison on par with San Quentin, Pelican Bay, some of the more notorious prisons in the world. But first, I got to give a little bit of background. It's LA County Prison of California. Is that correct? Is that what it's called, Mike? What's the technical name? It would uh, Lancaster State Prison. Lancaster State Prison. So there you go. And it opened in 1993. Prior to that, LA County did not have any state prisons but accounted for 40 percent of california state prison inmates it was a huge deal to build as it would be in many neighborhoods and the community fought the construction but it was but not only was the prison built by 2000 lancaster residents opinion of the prison improved so much that a proposal to increase the proportion of maximum security inmates received little criticism so very interesting now, as of this year, December 13th, it houses 2,812 prisoners, and though the capacity is designed for 2,300, there's a little bit of overcrowding, but nowhere near as bad as in 2007, when it was holding almost 5,000 prisoners. So it's a little background, and now I want to get to Mike Knox. Mike, thank you for being here, man. Appreciate you showing up and being on the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Love your show.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Give me your background, your origin story. Where were
1: you born and where did you grow up? I was born at uh, White Memorial Hospital in Boyle Heights. I grew up in Pasadena and I currently live in Valencia, California.
0: And I think it's important that you tell me uh, or that you tell our listeners um, why you were born in Boyle Heights. I think that's an interesting piece of background.
1: Sure. I was adopted. So at the time, I was uh, at the unwed mother's ward. So uh, what little information I have about my biological family is uh, it was uh, uh, not good to have uh, a baby out of wedlock. So the family flew from back east to have uh, their children in Boyle Heights at White Memorial Hospital. So there was a whole wing full of uh, kids getting ready to be adopted.
0: Wow. Did you ever find out where in Boyle, I mean, where back east the family was uh, from? Uh,
1: Yes, uh, Ma- uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Wow.
0: Interesting. So prenatal Boston to Boyle Heights to Pasadena now to Valencia okay that's that's a good background in a wide range now what I want to know what led you to work at Lancaster State Prison what was the process whether it was adolescence childhood was there a moment where you're like I'm going to go into law enforcement and did you ever see yourself um, as part of the prison system
1: no but uh, at that time uh, I was doing an internship in college. And one of the internships, I did a parole one and a probation one. So I was in Van Nuys probation. What I didn't know was probation doesn't know what parole does and vice versa. So I'm talking to the deputy of probation. He says, well, if you want to be a parole agent, you've got to work in a prison, which isn't true. And then talking to a recruiter, they were like, oh, you'll be in college. You'll be up in a, a tower. You'll never be on the ground, which is a total lie. <laughs> and so, you, and granted, this is uh, pre um internet so got a lot of bad information so yeah. I, fi- I was filling out different applications because at that time I didn't have a job I was 27 I just really wanted insurance you know and then as I got the job I was like wow you get vacation time and holiday time. I'd never had any of the anything like that before with a job so job wise it was like okay at least I'll be making some money I'll be able to support you know my family yeah uh, and that part was great um, so I put in my applications and uh, that was the first one because basically all you need is a pulse to work there. Yeah. Uh, and as I went through the academy, then I started to get other notices from like sheriff and LAPD. And I didn't want to go through another academy. I didn't want basically. Anything. What
0: academy would this have been?
1: So this is the one at uh, the prison academy, which is at Galt. And it's uh, it might have changed. I think it, at the time they had changed from six weeks to 10 weeks. So when I got there, it was the first 10 week academy. So I was looking at even a longer time to be there.
0: But but even back up again, you did or you didn't necessarily want to be in law enforcement, though, you were just really looking for a job with insurance, good
1: benefits, and that came up, huh? But of all the things, of all the... the Well, I was curious, I was always curious about prison, because this is before like, uh, when I started working at the prison, then like Oz came out on HBO, right? Yeah. So the prison makes it the way, so people, it's the lack of information, so the public doesn't know about it. So when I would ask questions like in college, most of the professors would say, actually all of them would say at the time, I don't know. I've never been in a prison. I don't know what goes on there. Wow. So I was in, uh, interested. I wanted to write a book about it. I was fascinated by it. I had a friend that worked in an Arizona prison. Okay. He was a level. It was. He was like, yeah, it's a, just make sure it's a level one. So when I signed up for Lancaster, because I'm just looking on a on a map. Yeah. I don't even know where Lancaster is. Oh, well, that's a low level prison. Well, the day I graduated, it turned into a, a maximum security prison. Come on. So you, it was And but that's prison. You're you're screwed either way. So. Wow. Prison is never... That was the thing I learned about prison. It's never going to go right. So as a
0: kid, though, just just again, and sorry for harping on no, this. No, I no, always no. got to... Because I have friends that became uh, police officers. Uh, my cousin, my wife's cousin is a police officer down at Long Beach. And there was always some sort of indication or, or dream of, you know, whether it was being the good guy getting the bad guys or just uh an infatuation with the law or law enforcement but do, any of those dreams going through the head of mike knox as, as a youngster
1: a little bit when i did my internship with parole i did an internship with inglewood parole and i was like oh this is a great place you could you can help people because you at that time it it was you know whether kind of these services kind of cycle in and out In Los Angeles. But at that time, when I was doing my internship, I was like, oh, wow, this is a place where you actually help people and get them back on their feet. That's interesting to me. That was the reason why I was like, oh, parole is like this hidden gem. And in the beginning, it was this hidden gem of a job. Uh, It's just kind of all been taken over by politics now.
0: Wow. Okay. So when you're, so you're now just starting out, you graduate the academy, and they're like, all right, Mike, head up to Lancaster. It's the first day of work. Go get them. What, I mean, walk me through that. Just on that first day, had you been to the prison before? Had you been inside those walls? No, which is
1: surprising. They don't take you to the prison that you're supposed to go to. It's it's
0: probably, you know, it is surprising, but it's also probably not to scare anybody off from, uh, you know, seeing the reality, or at least that's my assumption. So you get there. Is there other graduates of the Academy at the same time? Are you just starting that day by yourself? Or is it like a a, a group of of new employees, as it were, all...
1: You're you're starting with a group of other people. I, I saw one guy and I was like, oh, thank goodness, I know at least one guy. And I went up yep. to him and I saw him in the parking lot because this was like I got there way early, so it was probably my shift started at six. I got there I think about four thirty. Yeah, uh, it was just to me, it was just uh, absolute. It was always just stress and anxiety, um, and it was the the fear of the unknown because I didn't know what I'm supposed to expect when I get a person. Man, in it's
0: it's crazy. I've started office job. It's crazy heading into that first day and with four cubicles as you're with four cubicles and some white collar, uh, colleagues wearing shirts and ties. And that's, that's intimidating. So
1: sure. you,
0: you, now you had known it was a level one until you graduated. And then now you're like, Oh shoot, I'm stepping into a maximum security, but you're just like, F it, man, I'm going, we're doing this. No hesitation in that parking lot. You run into your, your friend, your, your, uh, uh, associate in the parking lot. You're, you're just, I'm doing this. Here we are. Let's go.
1: So I, was, I ran, when I ran into him, he said his position that he got uh, was uh, he was up like in the gym tower because it would house inmates in the gym. Okay. And so I was like, okay, well, mentally, if I could get to a tower position, I'll at least be a little bit safer. Yeah. So that was my mentality. It was always, it never really was uh, quit. But. Just because I was like, well, what am I going to do after that? I've already been through all of this. I might as well see it out and see how this goes. Um, But I can't deny that I was scared every single day that I was there. I mean, that's just normal. And I still, you know, I periodically, I did that uh, when I was a parole agent. You have to go back and pick them up. And you still have the same feeling about it's a prison, you know. So I think you're, you're crazy if you don't feel... Uh, uneasy when you're in there. But it gets to a point when you're in there where you're f- literally falling asleep in the middle of the day room with 200 inmates walking around you because of the fact that you just get used to it.
0: Like everything else, yeah. man, humans yeah. are so adaptable. Um, so on that first day, you come in, hey, you know, I'm Mike, the, n- the new guy. Um, what were your employers like? What, what was the process of Hey man, this is orientation day. Let's show you around. Like, do you remember that first day specifically?
1: I definitely remember that first day just because. Um, so, yeah, your first, I think about 10 days is this orientation. So, you're not really going on to the yard. You're you're outside the yard and they're telling you all the legal things okay. and stuff like that, basically covering themselves. But then your first day in there is just, you know, a, a wander, you're wandering around because there's no computers there. So, you're looking at a board that's typed out in this old phonics you know, where you're supposed to go, and you're trying to figure out, well, what, because it's abbreviated, so what is this? And so my very first, it was like, I was a wreck yard officer, I didn't even know what that was, Some, but you would go through the first gate, and they you'd have a new uniform on, so the guy knew who you were, so... Yeah he's not nice to you he's screwing with you the next guy from the next sally port he doesn't they they don't like the fact that you're a new person they call you you're
0: his, talking about the other employees the other officers. The other p- oh yes, jesus yes. okay uh
1: which is a good learning S- process because that's when you learn the very first day is you're gonna have more problems with the people you work with than the inmates so there's not yeah. even
0: right off the bat right there's the no bat. camaraderie no hey no. man we're in this no. together
1: like or even a a joking like huh Good luck. Welcome aboard, buddy. None of that. There's a little. I mean, there's also that, but it's, yeah. to me, it was very negative. It was just wow. putting down. And then after you are through the Sallyport, you're walking down the roadway. What's a Sallyport? The Sally port is the uh, basically the gates. Like there's two gates that are the towers watching to see who's coming in. Wow. And okay. Okay. And then you're walking down a, a long roadway. So my. Very, are you armed? I I, I not, don't even. No. Yeah. No, you're not armed. Uh, which to me is also. You crazy, have a but uniform, but you have a uniform when you're walking in there. You don't have equipment. You, got, you, you have to go to the housing unit to go get your equipment or wherever it is that they house it on the yard. <sighs> okay, keep um, going. So you go through that But the that's the same court. thing you learned that if you were to actually have uh, weapons with you, that's the reason that you, you don't carry a gun on the ground there is because the inmates, they, they would take it away from you. So wow. that's the reason you're not yeah, armed yeah, good in that way. Point, good point, okay. Uh, so when, in, you know, I'm asking... Uh, continue, continuously asking different officers, hey, where am I supposed to go? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Not my not oh, my, not oh, my oh. problem.
0: Come on. Okay.
1: So Keep I went done. to when I finally got to the mm. A yard, which is Alpha Yard, mm. trying to figure out where all the equipment was. I finally, after about 30 minutes, went to this one place. The guy you know, they hand down your equipment to you. Nobody t- told me that I didn't have a case for a radio because nobody told me I was supposed to have one. They, yeah. didn't, they don't offer it to you. So there's just a lot of unknown. And to me, I didn't like, that's what I didn't like because I definitely don't like things change and co- things are constantly changing in a prison. So then at that time, there had been a stabbing. Uh, so the yard was slammed, which is they're feeding the inmates in the cells, right? So yeah. everybody is basically waiting for the meal to be cooked in the kitchen. And then they're going to roll them out on carts to the housing units, And you're going su- to feed them through the cell ports. Nobody's talking to me. Then, then after a couple hours one guy came up to me and this is a guy that I'm still friends with to this day and he had been a sheriff and he was just kind of breaking it down to me like this place is absolutely horrible, but it's but it's a little bit better than when I worked for the sheriff's department. Wow! Uh, so sure. you're, you're just getting you're just getting people's different, uh, you know, their different ideologies about their lives and stuff like that. Uh, and that's what you do you gravitate towards the people that you kind of identify with. And for me, it was that kind of ten percent that I felt like they saw a little bit more than this place because it's just a crushing place. It's just so negative it brings you down and, and and it dumbs you down. And and nobody's talking about, you know, I'm trying to hey, I'm new. Could you guys help me out? No. And it's just like, everybody's just stone faced and everybody is so miserable and it just carries over to everybody else. Now
0: on one side, I can kind of understand that. Like, wait, let me be clear. As a human, it's terrible. You you want to, for me at least, I want to help people have a camaraderie, even if you're in a messed up situation, like, hey, we're in this together, especially, and, and again, I'm on the outside, but it seems like these are the people you're gonna need to rely on if shit goes down your your co-workers your colleagues why not have a couple maybe not smiles in in the prison yard but at least a a look a a, a, again i keep going back to that word camaraderie It's, it's just amazing that even right off the bat it was kind of established like you're kind of a lone sentinel in there um you know, ready to face whatever may happen. And, and, you know, we'll get into some of this crazy stuff that happens inside those prison walls. So so let's go here. So you get there, you're kind of released to to the different responsibilities. Initially, what were your, your responsibilities right off the bat? Like when you're, I guess, starting to get in that routine what did that initial routine look like
1: so mine as the rec officer was I'm in charge I was charged about 12 inmates that ran they were like the the gardeners of the yard so they're running lawnmowers, and I'm like you're giving these guys like a weed whacker like this could be used as a weapon against me but they were pretty much that's a covenant job because there's not really a lot of jobs inside the prison and those guys wanted those jobs and that job I think there's no there was no minimum wage Uh, so I think they got like a dollar 25 and that was big right all the other jobs little jobs were like a, a 25 cents which is was another thing that I, I didn't agree and that's with And this that. right? for the as inmates right as they're working and So wow. they're working. So if you're on these work crews or whatever and the only reason I was on that work crew is that somebody was out sick like people are always calling in or off and when you're new you're covering behind those positions. So for 2 weeks I had a, it was a good job because I I just handled this work crew of these 12 inmates and that was it. You solo, know,
0: were you solo? Yeah, you're solo. Which is are they chained up? Are they nope, locked up? No, no.
1: Everybody's when you're on the yard, everybody's free walking with around. Weed, yeah. weed and whacker. it gets hard. That's what's hard to get used to because you know they're walking behind you, or and these are oh, they yeah. you know, my my uh, one of my very first times in a control booth. The, the uh, what's I, a control booth? The control control booth is the center of the housing unit. Where, so okay. there's 200 inmates. There's five uh, housing units on a yard, and then there's 200 inmates in that housing unit, and the control booth is in the center. So there's one one uh guard correction officer that's at the top and he's basically pushing those buttons to open up the doors okay the the first time that I was up there it's really overwhelming looking at these all these buttons but I noticed one of the names and over to the left this guy's walking to the shower well it's a guy that murdered a a girl that I went to high school with so all, all of that kind of touches everything in your life you just don't you're just not aware of crime and everything like that yeah how it touches everybody you know, personally, and I was like, wow, that's to me. And nobody knew that story, nobody knew that I knew that guy. And I never talked to him ever the entire time that I was there, he never knew who I was. Wow, uh, but those are kind of the things that you see, and that was those are really interesting things about the prison to me that kind of fascinated me. You know,
0: my wife always talks about how everybody's uh connected and it always fascinates her. That's a really unique example. I mean, you're there as a representative of of the system and he's there as a uh, incarcerated individual in the system and again you cross paths you recognize him perhaps maybe in in some way you know people pass each other on the streets and it was sort of similar kind of background but this is just a whole different different atmosphere now how long are the shifts right off the bat what what you get there what's the you know fire uh, fire department employees used to work 72 hours on, 72 hours off, things like that. I know various, nine to five is a typical office job and these days everybody has flexible work. What were the requirements initially?
1: It's eight hours, uh, but so many people are not there that you're filling in for other people. So there would be, when you first start, I was uh, getting, you know, it would be 16 hour days, that was normal. One time I worked 16 hour days, seven days in a row. where I, Wow. And that was because they didn't fill the guy behind me. So I was stuck in a tower and I couldn't get out of the tower. I had to wait for somebody to come, you know, get the key to let me out of there. And they, and they knew the, the uh, person, the assignment sergeant knew, and he just left me in there anyways. And there's a lot of that going on also. There's just, they don't, oh, they don't care about your well being at all.
0: So going back and we'll, we'll dive into that, man. This is, this is a, a, definitely a downer on that. Like just hearing about the system as you're working there. You get more comfortable. Well, let's let's talk about that. How long did it take you to get comfortable with the job or with the day to day responsibilities and the routine? To get for me to get
1: comfortable, I would say at the three year mark. Wow. Uh, and okay. I and I think that's also you know you get a big pay bump around that time. Also, maybe it was two years, but if you're staying in there working, that's when you start to see the money coming in. Uh, and then as you start to make a lot of money, that's kind of what the hook is because it's like, well, where else am I going to make this decent amount of money? Uh, you know, you're kind of looking around. I was looking around at my friends and what they were doing. And, and at that time, yeah. um, I didn't really have any other, I thought financially, I, I didn't have really any other choice. And then as I was trying, because I was trying, to, my plan was to do it one year and get out of there and go to parole. But then they had a hiring freeze. So I couldn't get out of there. And yeah. and uh, I just felt stuck. Man,
0: stuck. But at least the money's starting to come in. That was some solace. I got to ask you off, t- off the court, I was about to say, but... Outside of those prison walls, at this point, your first three years, before you get comfortable, before the money's really coming in, what was your mental state, your mental health just with this as your vocation on a day-to-day basis outside the prison walls how, how did you reconcile that did you compartmentalize try not to think about it live a normal life uh was it depressing i mean tell me about that
1: for me it was depressing so i'd never been i was always six 175 pounds i'd never deviated from that at all while well, i was yeah. in a control booth for about a month uh and i gained 25 pounds wow okay and i didn't even notice because all i would do is i would go to work and i would get home and i would sleep because you're just in this other other world of you know you're inside these housing units there's no sunshine there's no vitamin d oh, and you don't notice what's going on with your body and then you don't have any time to work out or anything like that i was always an athletic person and i just became you know i went to this wedding and i was like Wee herman in a suit i, I couldn't <laughs> and and i was you know like that was the for me i was like and at that time i also was like having a lot of health problems where i had pleurisy uh at that time right but all these things i'm always thinking uh Uh, you know, I went to the hospital a couple times thinking I'm having a heart attack and they're like, but you're, you know, 28, you know, 29. Uh, but it's just the stress and you don't know. And that is factored in with prison uh, guards or prison staff is you're only really with your pension, you're only supposed to live two years because of that stress. And that's people get that stress so bottled up in them and they don't know what to do once they get out because they're so used to telling somebody what to do for the, for 30 years. And then they have no other outlet once they retire.
0: Is there any, program within the prison system for employees um, to deal with any of that, whether it's physical or mental health.
1: No, and that was another thing that always killed me was uh, uh, you could be an alcoholic in there, right? That was covered underneath your contract. You, yeah. could, you could be drunk on the job and they just send you to the mail room, but you couldn't go see a therapist uh, that would get you fired. You couldn't go, you know, like be on medication that would get you fired. So there were certain things that people did. Most of that was just somebody would be, they, what I saw was most people became alcoholics.
0: Wow, and that's their therapy at that point. And then, wow, that's just very interesting from a systemic perspective and an institutional perspective because you sometimes think about like the system locks up people and throws away the key and forgets them. It's not really about rehabilitation. You never think that that's the case with the people who were supposed to be securing the system and overlooking the, the, the inmates at the time. But that's a pretty sad way of, of how they were treated. That's, that's interesting. So over those first three years, were you able to develop relationships? I know you said you have one friend that's, you know, still your friend to this day, but did it loosen up when the other employees I'm talking about were, was it, Hey Roz, Hey Steve, or was it just that icy arms
1: distance the entire time? No, you look to, I, what I, identified was, okay, I can work in ADSEG, which is the whole, it's the jail inside when you commit a crime in the prison, right? So you get in there and then you're not affected by everybody else that's coming in there because all it takes is one person to come in and they call it your program. The inmates have it. They're just tr- trying to do their program, which is like, I'm going to go uh, go to Chow Hall and then I'm going to work out all day long. Well, the, pro- you, the the officers also have that program. They just want to get their job done and be able to, you know, sit down basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I started working in uh, ADSEG. So there were good guys in there and that's what you do you kind of and that's what you would do you would call somebody up you know uh and say hey is there a job over here can i work with you because i'm having problems with the people that i'm working with yeah and that's up to you to do that yourselves but if you were to approach supervisors and say i'm having a problem they wouldn't care all the ever, all they ever said was just suck it up that's all they ever said
0: who are the supervisors is it people who are in your employee that i mean in your position that have been promoted or is it a different hiring process like how does that hierarchy kind of develop on the on the employee side of the prison they're
1: just taking tests you t- these tests come out periodically and they're like there's a sergeant's test a lieutenant test and then once those people became a sergeant or lieutenant they basically never talked to you again it was this uh kind of drunk with power um you know it's kind of like the uh <laughs> Kruger Dunning effect. It was like these overconfident people that didn't really have the experience or education behind it. Uh, And it was, to me, it was just that absolute power just corrupts people. What's that called? The Cooper Dunning effect? I think it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's overconfident people that are very smart, but they're putting these positions. and, And again, it's prison. So, you know, who wants to, a lot of people don't want to take those jobs, but a lot of people, that job went to their head. Tell me about the hierarchy
0: on the employee side like on the on the and what's the word i keep using the word employee i feel like that's not the right term to use is, is it to, yeah that's fine okay so tell me tell me about style. the hierarchy who who's the head of the prison and then and then
1: break it down to to where you were in that sure so the warden is the head of the prison warden, but you right. were very very rarely ever see the warden because the warden's office is on the outside uh so there were a couple of wardens that i never met i would they and they kind of come and go they get blamed for stuff you know it's very political then you have Uh, usually have at that time you had four associate wardens so they were ahead of each yard Um, and then you would have um, captains and you would have lieutenants and sergeants so each yard usually you'd have uh, i think there were 16 uh, officers there were two sergeants and there was one lieutenant and one captain for that yard might have been two lieutenants okay uh and and this
0: is on duty or just total staff
1: that's on duty for each yard okay so there's four yards for the for the prison that i was at which is how
0: many inmates per yard
1: usually a thousand uh, when I was there, it was uh, – talk about overcrowding. There was more than that because they would put 40 inmates in bunks on the day room floor <laughs> um, of each housing unit. So each – they were over way over capacity to, uh, f- you know, 40 inmates.
0: How many were supposed to be in that room I
1: mean, with 40? I mean, really, you're only supposed to have – if they're single cell, you only have – you know, you'd have room for 100. So, they, I mean, they really do stuff them in there, and that was the thing that always killed me was – you know, you're in a cement box. You expect people to be like, you, you really think like Jeffrey Epstein was, you know, having a great time in his little cement box. No, he was going crazy. Right. Because that's what right. you would see. You would see people literally going mentally ill, sitting in a cement box, doing absolutely nothing because you didn't have anything to do.
0: And so you were there. Let's let's talk about that crowding for a sec. Uh, we brought that figure there was almost 5000 inmates in 2007 were you what years were you there 2000 to 2005 oh wow so you were there during that overcrowding yes oh, so yeah. so let oh, me yeah. envision that okay you say 40 not in a single cell in, in the group where there are 40 how many people are supposed to be
1: in that area Zero. that box Zero because it's the day room where the, they're supposed to be watching tv oh and they were sleeping and, and that's where they're they're they were, in were the bunk. open open bunk beds on the day room floor yeah i mean it was terrible overcrowding and no new you know the same amount of officers which is two on the floor and one up above you just you didn't have the resources at all I mean you never did
0: was it a budget problem was it an unwillingness I mean everything's a budget
1: problem (laughs) to the state I mean
0: well then how did okay right and and not to get ahead but they eventually fixed that overcrowding problem at least to a large extent in Lancaster was that because more prisons open? They let more prisoners out? They, just let, it,
1: they let everybody out. That was a big thing with AB 109 was, it was lessening these crimes to let everybody out. And yeah. I mean, we've been going on this 10 years, uh, but to me, you let all these guys out. Now that's why you have a huge homeless population because these are mostly these guys that were uh, e- either in prison or in mental institutions because a lot of mental illness with homeless, a lot of drug addicts, they were in rehabs. So, and I would see those guys out on the street when I worked in Los Angeles County. So the prison and the street, they're kind of the same. They cycle in and out. But you did need to alleviate that, and you yeah. definitely needed to. I mean, when I started, you would get 16 months for one piece of crack. I mean, it was – they were – how I would meet people that, hey, I – you know, you hear this famous thing about you were struck out because you stole a piece of pizza. I met that guy. You know, I met a guy that stole a donut that gave him life in prison. Wow. So yeah, that this definitely needed right, right? Need to change because you can't sustain that over a large period of time. Plus, you know, you're putting somebody in prison for that. Uh, but that is the problem with prison, is that you're arresting somebody you know, the city is arresting somebody. They're remanding they're you to jail, which is the county, and then you're sent off to a state prison. So there's all these different agencies that don't work together. And then you're forgotten about because the times where I would be interested to read somebody's case, you know, you get to know these inmates and they'd ask what you did or, what you know, I would ask what they did. They'd be like, Re- go read my file. Well, the file's not there. You've got to go down to records to get it. And the records person oh, doesn't want yeah. to let you to read it. But sometimes they'll have a, a copy of their what happened to them and you'll read it and go, man, this person... He, he, got, he got a raw deal. He had a bad a he, he, oh yeah. He had something. a bad attorney, or he you know they, he did a plea deal that was bad, something like that. I mean, there are there's horrible people in there. They should be in prison for the rest of life. But you would meet people that oh this I did meet a couple of those guys where oh this guy should not be in here. This Damn. guy's probably innocent.
0: Okay, that brings up a point I wanted to ask. You read that file and you're like, man, this guy stole pizza. Let's say and he's in jail for life. As somebody meant really to be? at worst antagonistic but even at best tolerant of the inmates but mostly impersonal they don't want you having relationships now all of a sudden you have a piece of knowledge that triggers that little bit of sympathy let's say for you know in in your you you are a good guy i'm sitting here with you face to face i can tell you're a good human you know we've communicated so now you have that in the back of your mind, how does that change your perspective professionally? Whether it's just this one individual or multiple people where you might know their story, or even just outright, look, like you said, some of these people are in prison for one thing and they're not necessarily terrible people. Like, how does that happen and, and do you develop relationships with the inmates in, in any capacity?
1: Oh, sure, you have to. It's just the problem is once you, you know, like I got disciplined for helping a guy, the guy, a guy wanted to read and, I helped him read. And then my sergeant came and you know yelled at me and tried to write me up for it. And just for me trying to help a guy read. But that's the thing is that it's the officers are wearing green and the inmates are wearing blue and there's that prejudice against each other, you know, and then the, it, you know, you're not supposed to get too familiar with them. I mean, I totally understand that because yeah. there's, there's, you know, staff that are bringing stuff in for the inmates, but at the same time, like you're supposed to You know, I would get to know them because that's all there is. You're just talking all day long. You have nothing else to do. There's so much boredom. So you do get to know them on a personal level, even though you're not allowed to say that you know them on a personal level.
0: Did you ever truthfully develop, you know, this guy, uh, I don't want to say the the word relationship, but that feeling where you're like, man, I genuinely feel bad for this individual or this person, like this person shouldn't be here.
1: Yeah, but then you get, you know, if you were I were to re- relay that to other people that I worked with, you'd kind of get, you know, socked back into reality, you know, because you'd be accused of being an inmate lover or, you know, oh, just yeah. shut up. But one guy in particular that I do remember, his crime was at Magic Mountain, and he'd gotten oh. into a fight, uh, and he, there was a construction area. He just happened to see a razor blade, and he used that razor blade as a weapon, so they got him with attempted murder. I mean, they racked up, stacked up charges on this guy, uh, and if you were to read it, he just basically had an attorney that fell asleep and never really did anything for him, and yeah. Uh, because he was a gang member And because he got he had strikes And they struck him out And so he was in there for life But you're reading his file going I can see your side to this Definitely So what happens? Are these inmates in this
0: capacity Kind of Even though they know you A correction officer Can't do anything Quote unquote Are they giving you this story? Are, are they trying to be like Man I shouldn't
1: be in here Dude listen sure. to what happened sure. Like I think everybody is Everybody's trying to Because everybody wants to be heard I think that's all That's humanity People just want You know, for me, I've always wanted somebody to to have compassion for me when I was at my lowest. And so I would see that with the inmates because they didn't have anybody else. Nobody's, you're in a box, you can't get out of that box. And then somebody's coming over there and you've got, you know, basically you've got 10 seconds to picture your idea what it is, because that's what it is. The officer's walking past that cell. Yeah you know, hey, what is it that I want today to get out of that officer? And most of the time for them, it was just, I want, I need toilet paper, you know, I need uh, some toothpaste, whatever it is. Right. Uh, so they really weren't ever asking for that much. It was just once in a while where they would open up and then I would be like, okay, I'll, I'll look at your, cause it, it wasn't a lot, it wasn't a lot of guys, but few of them would have the paperwork to me to look at their file and I would wow. look at it. I can't do anything for them, but.
0: Yeah. But at least just having that, that ear. I mean, again, you, you never, I imagine when you're on the other side, it's just even the first step towards potential freedom ultimately because that's what everybody in there wants i assume and even though knowing you can't do anything maybe you're gonna tell somebody and somehow get it there. i mean it's it's a hail mary uh every day going back to the overcrowding now this has to be horrible again like i said just walking into a prison in itself is a scary concept doing your job on a day-to-day basis is takes a certain kind of person a certain type of nerve just a certain kind of steely resolve now that's amplified and magnified you got inmates sleeping where they shouldn't be you got open area you got a, almost three times as many inmates as there should be at that prison what were those days like how do you head into that day knowing that you are overnumbered and if shit uh, outnumbered and if something goes down it's going to be tough sledding for you.
1: You're just dealing day by day. I mean, you're, you're really, for me, it was like, uh, oh, okay, well, I'll, you know, let's, let's get to lunch, right? And then lunch was usually a little downtime. You had like a half hour. So it would be like, oh, I can at least have some sugar or some carbs. Yeah. Uh, that'll make me happy for the rest of the day or whatever. So wow. you just like focus kind of just like the inmates did. You focused on something small <sighs> and that got you through the day. But you would see people that, you know, that you worked with, they weren't doing well but there was nothing you could do about that either. I mean I've had six uh, co-workers from that prison that killed themselves.
0: Jeez, just think about that. I mean again, even hearing your stories and seeing that you're you're a positive uh, persona, but I can't fathom, you know, one week even as on the employee side where you're just like this is depressing, you said it. It's it's outright depressing. You did it you did it for years. Um tell me about fights inside the prison. How walk me through a process of something happens what does Mike Knox have to do what's the reaction what happens on the prison yard when that goes down
1: so usually what happens is you're going to hear the alarm which goes out it's just radiating over you and then you're going to, to see where a sea of people are moving towards and that's where you're going to know where what's going on because it's all about communication and, and timing so I had a few times where people were fighting in front of me I just verbally told them to stop fighting for the most part they'll stop fighting Really? oh yeah yeah because most of the time they're fighting because they want to get locked up and go to ad seg because they're going to get off the yard and they're going to be away from people. Yeah. Because it go- just goes it goes back to how you're housing them. You're putting two guys in an eight by 10 box. Uh, how? You're, but you're expecting those guys to get, to get along with each other. Um, so there's going to be a lot of fighting all the time and people are, and they're frustrated. And they're also guys, these are, you know, men that, that they're, they're kind of, you know, emotional meter is broken, so they're they're not going to be able to to calmly talk things over. It's just let's start fighting. So, more fist fights than anything else. You would see stabbings. Uh they were just more rare than anything else. And when I was there, um you know, there was a uh, a couple deaths. There was a death. There was one guy that died in front of me. Yeah. Uh he was basically they, they fought in the cell and he killed him in the cell. Wow. Uh, but all of that is usually gang related. There's a lot of gangs in the prison. They run everything. And uh so everything's basically orchestrated. I mean, you can, you will get a feel for it. My very first time on the yard where there was a stabbing, I had no idea what was going on. I'm just in the middle of the yard, and the guy, the other officer that I'm with, is like, "I got, you know, it's going to go. The f- yard's going to go off." Well, well, how do you know? And then after you're there for a while, you're like, "Oh, now I understand what he was talking about," because you're seeing them group up, oh. and you're kind of seeing this inertia going on where there, you know, you can feel their energy, um, and it is something that only happens in a prison, or maybe you know, it probably happens in war also, but you can see. Uh, What's about to happen before it does Uh, But but of course you can't tell anybody You know because it might not Happen so
0: Is the reality as it's portrayed in the shows And movies is are the gangs Essentially racially segregated Is that
1: yes and it's very hard To talk about now in this culture of 2023 yeah but the inmates are the ones that Segregate themselves and they don't segregate themselves when they're On the outside it's just on the inside and the prison has tried to stop it and they just can't and A lot of it has to do with your gangs are Set up racially Uh, And so people just don't choose to talk about it. And I understand why. Yeah,
0: but that's still interesting. If, for instance, I mean, is there intermingling are that uh, what's kind of the, the social exchange uh, between the the races slash gangs
1: sure they're intermingling probably because they're you know selling narcotics to each other yeah. or something else extortion there's all just all sorts of going on. because the prison is a city in itself yeah. so you know the idea that the prison guards are bringing everything in uh yeah that does happen but also there's visiting all day long so visitors come in that you know they're they're you know one or two people watching, hundreds of people that are, you know, inside uh, this cafeteria. So stuff's being exchanged or you have minimum inmates that are going out to our public parks or whatever, cleaning up there. Somebody will leave them something they'll bring it back in. It's just it's like your Amazon package it takes you know for us it's like I want it right now and for them they'll wait a couple weeks to get their package but it'll get there you you know you might see a football fly over the outside of the yard into the inside it's filled with drugs you know or or drones are big now
0: wow didn't even think about drone delivery holy moly What, uh, what kind of contraband did you see your
1: day. Uh, pretty much, I mean, pretty much everything. But you're, you're, you know, the inmates are constantly, which fascinated me. They're constantly making things. So, like a, a tattoo gun, because tattooing is big. That's considered yep. contraband. But they're making that out of the motor of a Walkman, with a guitar string, and they're making the, um, the ink, you know, out of they're burning uh, a plastic, oh. and they're extracting wow. up the toothpaste. So they're very inventive guys. Right. Uh, some of the greatest artists that I've ever seen, uh, drawing wise, have been in there. Have been in prison.
0: You seen drugs. You see yes. tattoo stuff, of course. Cell phones are big.
1: What's the craziest piece of contraband? Uh, craziest? I mean, at, at the time, I think craziest would be uh, kind of the holy grail with cell phones. Uh, now there are just so many of them yeah. are, uh, but to me, it would be somebody like that uh, made a. Uh, a uh, jewelry box out of potato chip wrappers. Uh, they're like jewelry boxes or a guy made a, uh, he made a clock out of, uh, I think tooth, not toothpicks. So I think little twigs that he had found on the yard, but it was this beautiful clock that he had made and, and was functioning, in. functioning. Yeah. And, and, uh, Uh, And I would collect those things at the same time if somebody, you know, one of the staff, like sergeants or lieutenants saw that you had collected and they would destroy it because they didn't want you collecting stuff. But I always found all that stuff fascinating. Wow.
0: Um, And it is. And it goes to talk about the ingenuity of some of the inmates. And, you know, you you kind of alluded to it, not directly. I was I, I may have read into it a little bit, but there is a level of intelligence. There's a level of sophistication. And again, maybe not everybody is this bad person, but within the system, especially in the role that you had, you're obligated to to look at them through that prison, a prism, up Freudian slip right there, where you're obligated. But do you have thoughts on the rehabilitative aspects of, of what you did? And was there a lip service paid to rehabilitation while you're there? Or was that truthfully not even a consideration? I guess ultimately, what kind of consideration does the rehabilitation part of prison really
1: it was, it was non-existent it was like it reminded me of when uh, governor Schwarzenegger had this huge million dollar thing just and all he did was change our patches to the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation nothing happened they're not required to and, and they tell you that when you wow. go to the, through the academy is well, all we have here to do is house and feed. we don't have to rehabilitate and to me that's the core of it because nobody's talking about their crime the reason why they did their crime most yeah. of these guys they've been abused some sort of way they've been abandoned I would always when I was working on the outside I would ask hey how'd your, how'd your dad used to wake you up in the morning how'd, I don't have a dad well you know uh, what about your mom? No, nope, she abandoned me. Or my dad would wake me up by throwing hot coffee in my face, or putting cigarette butts out on my head. You know, wow. so a lot of these guys have suffered a lot of trauma, and then they don't—they're not talking about it. And also, the everybody else is telling them just to suck it up and not talk about it. So a lot of that is just this really sup- very d- deeply uh, suppressed stuff, uh, and there's no outlet for them in the prison. So I totally see why. Sometimes when you're you're, tr- you're questioning. You know, when you've seen somebody that's been so abused, but you're questioning, well, why would you do that? You know, it really goes back a long ways away, but then they they don't have the skills to even vocalize why they did something.
0: Yeah, and you use that term emotional meter, which I'm gonna have to borrow in the future, because that's a pretty valuable um, term. I wanna get to your personal life as you're in the prison. I believe you're married, correct? Yes, yes. Um, Were you married at the time? Did you have a...
1: Uh, I got married, yeah, I got married, I think I was a year in, I think.
0: How did you maintain a relationship, and what it was, it's the tough. heck it's tough. could your wife have been thinking every day? I leave to drive on the freeway, and my wife's like, "Be safe," you know. Which again is a great sentiment, sure. but we're sure. talking a different different world. How did that?
1: I think the good thing was that it was a different world, and so she didn't know what it was because a lot of the uh, staff are, you know, they there's a lot of nepotism. They're married. They're, they're everybody's related. They're married. They're all hang. You know, they all know each other. And I didn't know that. I Had no idea what it was. Prison culture at all, so my wife didn't know that either. The only downside was uh, the shift work, you know, because uh, my shifts were usually because when you're new, you're not going to get good time, course, good shifts. So course. I was usually working two to ten, and I'd get home about eleven o'clock.
0: Two p to ten
1: p. And then when you're you know first getting married, I was, uh, you're in your twenties. Everybody, you know, your wife wants to go out and socialize with everybody. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to stay home. I didn't want. To, and that was another oh, thing about the prison. It turns you man. into this very isolated person that you don't want to be social with people.
0: What is that? Explain that for a little bit.
1: I just think it's because you you are your life is on the line all the time, and you can't trust anybody and you become and then you really see what is going on in the world. Like you really do understand because prison transfers to the streets. So you really understand like what what is your eyes really open up to what's going on um, crime wise and and the, all the things because I really was um, grew up very sheltered. And I never, you know, never knew gangs or anything like that. Well, now yeah. you're, I'm thrust into this world where everything is gangs, everything is crime, everybody, you know, that's your identity for a lot of these guys. I mean, a lot of it I equated to, uh, you know, they're bragging about what prison that they went to or what prison that their dad or uncle or wow. whatever it was, and yeah. that gives them props, you know, for where, where they did a hard time. Because every every if you ever hear, you know, Pelican Bay thro- thrown out there, that's the, one of the toughest that's... joints to be in, you know, or San Quentin is where Death Row oh, is or used man. to be. I think they got rid of it. Um, but so those places that got your rep for different things. So, you know, that helped out for those guys where I would, you know, people would ask me, well, where'd you go to college? And then they would look down on you if you, you know, cause I went to Cal State Northridge, so I couldn't CSUN. brag about that. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, my wife and uh, dad are both CSUN am <laughs> proud. My dad used to say finest Institute of higher learning. Um, yes. But now, go again this wife family thing because that's something you just don't think or i i don't really think about so you're may, you're a newlywed i mean not just married you're a newlywed and you're living this lifestyle your wife has to be worried sick were you ever attacked were were you ever involved in an altercation while you were in
1: i i was involved in many altercations but i was never attacked and i think i attribute that to well i was uh it's called gassing where they're throwing like uh urine or feces at you. Oh, and I was gassed twice with urine. But the reason that I was, was they thought I was this other guy who was nobody liked. Uh, and I always looked at it like, if you're fair, firm, fair and consistent to these guys, they're going to treat you. Oh, it's all about respect. And one of the shocking things, is it's all about your word. If you give them your word, like, hey, uh, hey, you know, could you get a magazine for me by the end of the day? Yeah, yeah, I'll go to the library. I'll see what I can do. Do I have your word? Yeah, yeah. you got my word. So if you didn't follow through with that, They were never going to trust you ever again. But I always kept my word to what I was doing with the inmates. And so in return, they would leave me alone. And most of them, um, they knew what they had coming, you know, basically state-wise. They didn't really ask. They're not asking. I never had anybody ask me, hey, bring drugs in for me or anything like that. Um, So everybody, for the most part, was very cordial. You got a couple guys that were just, they're spun, you know, because they're mentally ill. Uh, But for the most part, heavy, heavy gang bangers were very respectful to me. You know, heads of, especially like- Is it because they knew- it's a, to, it's, yeah, it's a better way to vacations yeah but it's a better way to do business rather if you're going to act crazy to somebody that, that person doesn't want to give you anything in return but as, if you know and they didn't want anything it was just like you know like toilet paper you know was passed out once a week one roll wow. <laughs> so it would be like hey can I get an extra roll of toilet paper Well are you going to give that to you if they're you know not being nice to you or they're being you know chaotic no if they're being nice to you and respectful you're going to go out of your way to yeah yeah I'll get you no problem It's
0: interesting because I would think your default an adversary or seen as an adversary, and there's no reason to be nice, especially in a maximum security prison. But you bring up a good point because everything is politics, everything is relationships, and whether it's you, the inmates, everybody's trying to get ahead, whatever that means, you know, for that day. And if that is just getting a magazine, getting an extra roll of toilet paper, then you bring up a good point. That's really interesting. Tell me the difference between maximum security and the alternatives i guess and then and lancaster is the breakdown of the prison i guess um like like the layout if you will not necessarily the, the the blueprints but how does that work what percentage of the inmates are maximum security what exactly does that mean and then what are the what's the other population
1: sure so it's all done by point so it's one two three four uh one and two or your your minimum you know you can drop points you can do because when you're going to prison it's day for day so every day that you serve you're going to get a day off right so like when you hear about people talking about you know i got you know i killed somebody well when you kill you know that murder first usually you're or murder in the second usually only doing 6 years well you're out in 3 you know so all this sentencing is so different from other people, and you can meet—you know—the inmates will talk too. Hey, I—I I got this attempted murder. I'm doing 17 years. This other guy attempted murder. I'm only doing three. So nothing's consistent on the same page. Um, and uh,
0: what do you attribute that to, real quick? I do that's want just to get the back
1: point. To. That's just yeah. That's just the point system, and that's I, I just attribute it to the the counselors are the ones that are there uh, doing the points and. It's just an old, it's a system that they started with. Do you want more changing. points or less points you want, as, sorry, as an Yeah, you want less points as okay. the inmate because okay. that's going to give you more freedom. Okay. Um, you know, like the people that are doing life in prison, there's some of them that can't have uh, uh, congenial visits. There's actually a little area there that has apartments where somebody, from, you know, your your uh, wife can come on the outside and visit you and bring groceries. You can stay the whole weekend. So there's all sorts of different really? stuff. Yeah. All sorts of different programs. But if you're doing life, I think it was at the time like a they called it like A1A or something. You couldn't have that. Uh, so everything is just kind of your, the crime that you committed and what the judge sentenced you to. And then when you're in the prison, the prison is kind of figuring out what to do with you. You know, because sometimes you'd have guys that are like, I can go out in the yard and you'd be sitting there in a classification classification meeting going, you can't go on the yard, man, because you are you just snitched all these guys out. They're going to murder you. Yeah. No, I'm going to go out on the yard and they would let him on the yard and he'd get stabbed. And so there's all sorts of stuff that's going on, but points wise... The maximum security, that's level four. And what does that mean for the inmate when they're actually in
0: the maximum security component?
1: It, it just means it's the type of, uh, the, like the housing. The You're just less restrictive of what you can do. Like if you were, say if you were uh, level one, you're on the minimum yard, which is a, there's about 200 inmates and they're on the separate, basically dorms that are on the outside of the prison. Uh, basically pretty much right up to the, you know, there's a door there they could walk right out of. Wow, There's like a low fence they could jump over, which they would, that was most of your escapes would be from, uh, a minimum minimum uh, inmate who got like drug debts and they were going to get him. So,
0: How often is there an escape?
1: Uh, I think there were, not often. I mean, there were two, I think, uh, when I was there. Cool. Um, but, uh, and then the staff loves it because they can get on all the different motorcycles and stuff and drive through the desert. And oh, wow. <laughs> you know, get free food because yeah. they have to, you know, have, have start up their team to search for these guys. And most of those guys go right to their mom's house and, you know, they're not very resourceful.
0: Yeah, and it's also tough. I mean, they don't oh, have yeah. resources yeah. at that time too, once they do get out. So the maximum security again, sorry to harp on this, no, but no, no, no. what does it mean? Less sun, less exercise, less obviously freedom. Yeah. Like for example, hours say a day you're at, in a cell. right. So yeah. say
1: if you were at an ad or say you're a Pelican Bay, you're in the 23 hours a day is you're sitting in your cell, you're fed in your cell, you go out to the yard, which is a cage, a uh, very small, again, some of them are single cell cages, even Other, on the yard, even on the yard. Yeah. Um, but it's that's just to like expose the sunlight, the sunlight kind of de- basically, but yeah. they're in
0: a literal cage even yes. on the- yeah, wow. yeah wow
1: okay uh yeah. then there's a you know like lancaster had uh two little small yards that had a basketball court and there's a toilet out there and they would put you know i think we uh, sometimes 12 to 20 guys out there and they're usually like all in the same gang so they're you know doing roll call uh but uh, very limited movement. And then there's no, the thing that blew my mind in AdSeg was there's no TV, there's no radio, there's no nothing. Uh, and again, that just makes your mind crumble. I was always like, let's get a TV in here. <laughs>
0: wow. Okay. Let's talk about your book, Straight Fish. The first thing I want to know. What's that title mean, and where did that
1: come from? Sure, so straight fish is what they call new officers. So you, you can't... They meaning fellow officers, the, or they meaning... The, a, in, the inmates. Okay. Because the inmates, there there's a code that they're not allowed to curse. You know, they're not allowed... You, of course, you can't do criminal threats, so it's the vague way of putting you down. You're so new. You're a new fish to this pond, and you're a straight fish, which means you know absolutely nothing, which is usually you just got out of the academy, because yeah. how would you? The academy doesn't train you to do anything. They're really training you not... has nothing to do with the prison. It's training you how not, you know, how we can save us from getting sued.
0: Wow, right.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that always shocked me at the uh, training was, you know, like they'd have us, you know, you're cell searching all the time, but in the academy, it was like this closet that they like, it wasn't even a real cell. It was just searching a closet. So it was, none of this stuff was like real world experience. You really learned it when you were on the job at the prison.
0: Well, tell me what straight fish stood for.
1: It, it was a put down basically for a new officer.
0: You, you, you could say it It's an acronym Are you, Can you curse? Oh
1: yeah, yeah Okay
0: t- Tell us what the acronym is
1: Uh Oh uh, I can't even remember What the acronym I can't remember It was like uh. It's been too long I can't remember It wasn't There was an acronym for it
0: Fucking idiot shithead. Yes, I believe yes. Is what it was told yes, So what right. What made you write the book?
1: I Because I'd always wanted to Write a book about prison <laughs> And so I was always taking notes When I was in there And I would just Every day write notes And, and just try to Kind of put chapters together And there's just so many stories About the prison And uh uh, you know, and, and there's so much verbiage that well, he's only in a prison. You would only know if you'd been to prison.
0: And you seem like this kind, dare I say, gentle individual. I mean, you were telling me, and it, it, this is funny and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit. Mike Knox today is a comedian. Um, and he was telling me that part of the reason he became a comedian is to sort of, uh, face head on this phobia that many of us had about public speaking. And man, uh, stand up comedy is one of the ways where you will right away come face to face with that fear. Um, But apply that like, again, you're this good guy who's thrust into this role again, as adversary as um, you know, somebody who's a representative of a system that's not even necessarily sympathetic or friendly. And then, so you write a book, you develop this um, sort of, part of your life or you put this part of your life in the past and write a book about it. Was that sort of therapy? Was that cathartic for you to do? Or was it just like, this is a goal that I'm going to achieve. And and that's what, what you accomplished with writing the book.
1: I mean, for me it was a combination, but it's definitely, I mean, writing for me now is my therapy. And I, I, at least I know when things get so horrible, uh, at least I know that I'll have writing and his writing is always there. And so that's the way that I look at it. I, I look at, you know, like, I retired a year ago uh, and I I really realized when people retire with nothing in front of them, that's when they don't know what to do. Um, So for me, the writing is what's the most important to me.
0: That's great. And then, so the transition to comedian, I mean, how did that come about?
1: I don't, I've been doing comedy. I actually was doing comedy uh, when I was at the prison, uh, but I had to do it in secret. You have to do everything in secret because people will get mad at you. And I had somebody come see me one night and confronted me at work. You know, you think you're a funny guy, you know, because they don't want you to succeed in anything else that's yeah. outside. Yeah. Uh, but I just realized, my my daughter also got sick. She has epilepsy. Uh, so there was a long period of time where I couldn't do comedy because of focusing on my family. And that yeah. kind of got me through a lot of stuff also was I could just focus on my family. I didn't have to focus on. And I think that's the main thing with prison. Uh, you really get caught up in this, you know, I, I thinking about, because the prison is going 24 hours a day. And when you're off, it's still going on, it's still going to go on itself. But you get in the beginning, get focused on, you know, they can't live without me. And you really are Because those guys are dependent on you. Oh, man. Um, And if you're not there, one day you disappear and then the inmates are like, you know, well, that's the guy that used to give me the newspaper on Sundays. So you really do have that compassion for the inmates like that you were there as a purpose for them.
0: You either got to steal yourself off completely or else that's just human nature and that's going to happen. What's the security for you? for the officers if something were to go down and it, like man down kind of style what what happens who co- somebody come in from the outside like let's say worst case there's a prison riot for lack of a better term and shit really goes down then what happens what's the protocol
1: uh, there is a hospital there i mean there's nurses and doctors they're all there uh, but we there was one time where there was a severe stabbing so they we brought the inmate out to the um parking lot and he was helicoptered out so you'd have the you know the inmates have access to the phones they'd be they'd call nine one one, and the ambulance would show up and uh, come on oh yeah so there's all again there's just so many stories that are just so ridiculous well, what
0: about an officer officer down though
1: yeah he would be trying i mean you have transport teams they'll transport you'd you. have there other was a, officers had,
0: rush had, in and help them out yeah and there
1: was an ambulance The ambulance you know you would uh, escort them out there's a hospital next door to lancaster so all that stuff was um they're, they were pretty good about that
0: were politics ever discussed in prison
1: oh all the time i i mean that's again it's there's so much downtime that you know and then people get obsessed with their politics and
0: <laughs> much like they're very much like outside of prison sure, yeah sure,
1: sure and and to me i just okay and i just i early on just decided i'll, I'll be the guy that you know you can lead or you can follow or you can get out of the way and i was always the guy that was i'll just i'll just stay on the side and watch you guys fight it out and
0: yeah, that, that'd be
1: tough, taking picking a side
0: on something like that. Um, on a day-to-day basis, um, were you really engaging with the inmates on any topics maybe about the prison itself? Or, or, you know, whether it's the food or the treatment or back when there was that big overcrowding, you know, those kind of things. You see this every day. Do you dialogue with the inmates, or you just got it, like you said, on the side? I mean, again, you do have that relationship. You're giving the newspaper maybe the t- roll of paper, and now you're seeing these guys crammed into cells or crammed into f- areas that shouldn't people shouldn't be sleeping in. Do you give them the the no acknowledgement, like man, this is kind of messed up,
1: or or you can't? It's it, you just. Oh have no, you would get. no. I would talk to them freely about that uh, because they everybody knew, especially they did. They were the ones living in it. Um, And if I could fix it, I would, you know, I would fix it. If, you know, one of the big things was because there was no radio or TV, it was they looked, a lot of them looked at the library. Well, the librarian was a guy that was never there. So I would just go into the library and there was no, he didn't write anything down, you know. um, So there was no set process or policy for it. So I would just go and check the books out for the inmates and give them, I would do that guy's job. And a lot of times that's what it is. You're doing somebody else's job that doesn't want to do their job.
0: Wow. Now, as it stands... Are you an advocate? Do you have thoughts on prison reform? Have you seen so-called prison reform? What are just the overall thoughts? What does that even mean to you?
1: Uh, I'm definitely for it. I just don't see it. And I just think one of the problems, I would always hear it and they would always say, we're implicated, we're gonna, we're gonna, this is coming down, this is what we're gonna do. And they never did it. And I just think a lot of it is the ineptness of government, you know, and and I see that every everywhere.
0: What would that mean aside from eliminating overcrowding?
1: Uh, It's just that it's not getting done. for me, I would like to see, you would start with the foundation of how the prison is and kind of dismantle that. It doesn't need to be paramilitary. Um, the cells, I think, should, you know, when I would go to psych wards, this the place, you would have a bed there. It would be a normal bed. Well, in the prison, you're given this little mattress on um, uh, the, your, your sometimes cement slab or steel frame. Uh, Some but slow. I would always think, you know, there was a couple guys in there that were over, you know, taller than me and your feet are sticking off the side. So accommodations to me could be a lot better. I think you could start with a bigger space, single cell, uh, a room would be good, but, every time I, if I ever brought that up, I would just be screamed at for even saying that. But yeah. to me, it is the quality of life to start with. Yes, I know that they committed crimes, but, um, you know, you're, you're putting people in there that you're putting the murderer in there with the person that committed larceny. You're stuffing them all together and you're wow. treating them exactly the same. Um, you know, there, there were certain crimes you would... S- you would see right away this guy was somebody that had never been in prison before. And you would be like, you, you go up to him and, you know, hey, where are you from? Because you knew he wasn't from California. Yeah. And a lot of them have come to Hollywood, whether they thought they were going to become famous or just because they'd been at a party and they heard, I want to go to Hollywood. Yeah. And then yeah. they'd get stuck here. And then they get, you know, kind of one of the sayings was you come to California and then you leave on parole. You know, you're stuck <gasps> on parole. Wow. And uh, so you would see the kind of same people, you know, DUIs were big yeah. where somebody had died and oh. then they charged him with uh, with the murder, you know, like a, um, whatchamacallit, we'll not a murder, but uh, you're responsible for the death of the person that died in that car accident, even though they died a couple of weeks later or whatever. So yeah. the, a lot of them were, you could identify with that person that had one or two drinks, that had had a family and a career and everything yeah. like that. And that just derailed everything and, and screwed up their life. I always think about
0: that. Thank God for Uber. But man, they were, there were times that, uh, you know, we've all made bad decisions. Let's put it that way. Um, were there any high-profile inmates when you were in?
1: Yes, uh, but they're more high-profile because they're infamous. Like, uh, you know, I'd, uh, Rick Ross uh, was, I would walk him to the shower. The original, the, the original, Freeway, not the Rick rapper, Ross. yeah. The rapper was also really? a Really?
0: Now that is high-profile. Very,
1: very nice guy. Very well-respected guy because of the fact that he was so humble. Uh, Harry O was a guy that was also another very nice guy. He who was, was a guy, Harry O? Harry O was the one who funneled the money for uh, Death Row Records. Oh, shit. He was shit. the guy behind the guy very nice guy
0: oh wow um, okay okay.
1: and he was basically running businesses he'd be on the phone with his attorney and he'd have all these legitimate businesses he was a very very smart guy very business oriented how much phone time
0: are the inmates given?
1: they can pretty much it's 15 minutes a day but if somebody else is giving them their time they can be on the phone all day long I mean, like hours. smart f-
0: modern day straight iphone like all this kind no of stuff. it would be a phone on the wall
1: um unless okay. it's changed i mean it might have changed you know maybe now uh, they have computers or something good point it, it, good point it's been it's different
0: that's crazy because now close to 20 years if to you got that. a smartphone i mean shoot prison
1: might not be so bad no well that's I mean, why the cell phone is so yeah. covenant, Is because you can talk you know everybody oh. wants to talk to the outside world you no know? oh. i mean i would i would go i would pick up guys who had never seen a cell phone because wow. they had been down 30 40 years
0: yeah did you see a lot of recidivism people returning back in?
1: Yes. And it's uh, again, hard for people to understand, but it was simply just because the outside it's hard out here. It's hard to get in a job. And, and, uh, you know, once you get released from prison, they say that there's all these programs, but in reality, um, how would you know to go do that? It's like somebody who's never had a job, how would you know? They don't know how to go apply for a job. Nobody's yeah. helped them fill out. Oh, a, man. And so, that
0: goes just to the baseline rehabilitation. Like yes. simple, simple yes. skills. Fill out a job application. So wait, Where to go? Wow.
1: Or wait. another one that would kill me. It's like I can't get my ID at the, at the DMV because I don't have an ID. You know so.
0: Oh, my God. How do you even start? They probably, yeah, where are the documents? Oh, man. Yeah, these are just simple life skills. Yes. You know, I have a close friend who uh, has been into, not been in, but he's spoken to in prisons and jails. Uh, He's a storyteller. He's a professional storyteller. Um, And he's, you know, taught classes on how to, uh, you know, tell stories that it's supposed to be a representative life skill, you know, because it is important in certain worlds. But again, it's like, it goes back to almost like the, the LAUSD where it's like, You never learn about a budget. You never learn about a checkbook that are are just basic life skills. And in jail, again, storytelling's cool and it's a nice skill, but it's like, well, what about just actually how to, you know, earn some money to buy some groceries and and keep a refrigerator stocked and stuff like that? Um, I want to talk about your relationship or if you can speak on it, the prison's relationship with, um, Lancaster. And with the county of Los Angeles, what did you see about that? Was there any inner, inner, uh, any exchange? Was there, because again, initially, as we'd established, Lancaster didn't want a prison there. As again, most, most neighborhoods probably would not. And then it was built there was there outreach was there PR did the prison and this might sound funny but do any community events and things like that to kind of put a positive spin that like hey we're here in the neighborhood and it's not all that bad and we got you covered and it's gonna be safe
1: for for what I saw when I was there it was we don't want to talk about it and uh, because there were I thought the same thing there were so many uh, programs that did come in but none of them were kind of city-based and maybe they did and I wasn't there but from the consensus from everybody was basically like, let's just not talk about it because, uh, you know, you have houses that are right across the street from the prison. They can hear the firing range going off. They can hear the yard down. Um, How far are the homes from the prison? They're right, basically right across the street. I mean, sur- they surround the prison. When I first started working there, they were just building this kind of uh, a few uh, homes. And now it's kind of, you know, I mean, it is one of the last places you can buy a home uh, very inexpensively. And, and you could, when I first started there also.
0: And people are just like, yo, that's well, the, sure. the only
1: area. place in LA. I mean, I, anybody that can survive in LA County, I don't blame them.
0: Holy moly, man. Okay. So now let's wind it down. So you're there for five years. What was the first indication you wanted to leave? How did you wrap it up? What, what, what was the end of your, your career at, at Lancaster state prison?
1: So I, I transferred to uh, parole as a parole agent, at, and which was my what I wanted to do from the beginning. It's just I kept having hiring freezes, and and then you've got to have you know you got to walk to every sergeant lieutenant up to the warden to get them to sign off to get you to leave. So you got to find those people. So it's a long process. and You got to send your paperwork. Do to they
0: it. not want you to leave? You know, honestly, because I mean, it's hard yeah. to find people. Right. Pretty much, the they village. don't
1: want. you – Yeah, I mean the consensus is pretty much like, wow. why don't you want to stay here? I've been here thirty years. You're like, I know that's why I want to leave. Oh man,
0: I see that. Oh. Yeah. So you got all that signed off and was it just sayonara? Do you put in your two weeks? Uh, where does it, how does that process happen?
1: Well, my first, my first packet mysteriously disappeared. So the second one was about a year and a half later, I walked it down and handed it in personally and got them to sign off on it. Cause there's a lot of that was going on at the time. And uh, then it was, uh, you're hearing, you know, you're gonna get a date for the Pearl academy cause you gotta go back up to uh, Sacramento Galt and go through their parole academy. And so there's, uh, I think about a week or so that I, before I went there, uh, and I just continued to work because I didn't, I wanted to get out of there so bad. I didn't want anything to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so from there, I just drove up to the academy, uh, Pearl uh, parole Academy and, uh, became a parole agent after that. And
0: it just becomes official at that point. Like you're, you're out the last day.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is kind of weird. You see, you can see your, there's the movement sheet, which they post, um, on a bulletin board, and you can see that you're going to the parole academy. So everybody knows where you're going, and and everybody's telling you, for the most part, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to keep up, you know, because nobody wants you to succeed. Yeah, there, yeah. which is why I wanted to leave. So
0: crazy. And then, so on that last day, do you say goodbye, whether it's to your coworkers or to the inmates? How does that work? do you for, tell for, people yeah
1: oh sure i did but but everybody's you know housing and feeding so they're too busy so it wasn't like there's a celebration for them. right, just right. there's no cake in the, in yeah. the office right yeah. i mean literally like well, yeah if you if you were if there's an accident you're everybody they're all telling you to go back to work and you're you know the person leaves the yard and whether or not you see them you don't know
0: wow okay so that last moment when you actually walked out of the the gates that last day what did that feel like
1: for me, it felt great because I was getting out of there, uh, but there wasn't any, nobody cared. You had to go turn in your, you know, I had to go turn in my badge, and they just literally threw your badge <laughs> in with a bunch of other badges in a the drawer. They didn't wow. care where you were going.
0: <laughs> but you, did you have this pressure lifted
1: off your shoulders? Yes, was oh, it? absolutely. When I, when I heard that, uh, you know, I remember getting that phone call that, you, you know, we'd like to offer you this job. I oh, because I just had anxiety for five years.
0: Wow, wow. and what was your wife's reaction?
1: Oh, she was loved it because, uh, getting back to her, she, you know, didn't want me working in a prison. She didn't want to start a family. And I totally get, got that, you know, she said because I'd been absent for so long. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it, I totally, and that there's a high rate of, uh, divorce with, uh, uh prison staff because of that fa- fact. Yeah. If you don't understand like you're that prison, you can't get out of that prison. I mean, if you're held over, you're held over. And a lot of people don't understand that. Like they can just say, well, there's a riot going on. So you're here, you know, was stuck there 20 hours one time Oh man, and nobody's you know, you don't have a cell phone to call anybody.
0: Oh, really? No. Yeah, that makes sense. Now
1: it's different, but when I was there, you know, they would give you, you know, oh, there's a, there's a uh, phone booth <laughs> outside the prison. You can go call, call your wife there.
0: And you became a parole officer. Yes, where based out? of Central.
1: I started in South Central. Yeah, uh, and I covered all of. That's another thing about it is I covered all of L- Los Angeles. Tell
0: that's... me a little bit about that being a parole officer.
1: So you're you you are. Um, when uh, men get out of incarcerated men get out of prison, you're responsible for them. So you have a caseload, yeah. uh, and that caseload fluctuated. When I started, I, and it's all probably points. I started with 400 points. I ended with about 80 points. Uh, and you're trying to get them reintegrated back into society. And to me, it was you're just overwhelmed because you can't keep up with what's going on. You know, you had I think there at the time was 100,000 criminals in LA County. Um, so you got very little support. None of these other agencies are trying to help you out. And yeah. um, so it's, again, it was a whole another chapter in story. Why where, do you
0: do these thankless jobs? Well, with, yeah.
1: with parole at, at the time, my daughter was very sick. So yeah. I really did, but the money was in parole was so good where I was just like, okay. And I would plot my retirement. And so I le- at least saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Man.
0: Okay. So did you see any of the same people? Oh yeah on oh, yeah. parole that you said, what, what oh, yeah. did the relationship change? What ended up happening with that?
1: I would be more excited seeing them like, Oh my God, you got out. That's yeah. so great. But a lot of them were so institutionalized that you weren't kind of getting <laughs> that camaraderie back with them. Uh, Cause there were a couple of guys that I was so happy to see because I really got to know them in the prison. But then at the same time, you're not wanting to give them too much information because a lot of them are unstable. But I got to tell you, I've had more, I've had the more, uh, Parolees call me from about my retirement than anybody that I worked with, and see how are really? you doing and, and my see how my well being is. Yeah, no, nobody cared with uh, parole. I didn't have like a retirement party or you with know, the prison. You mean. No, no, with parole. Oh, okay. I didn't have one with the prison either, but I just mean parole.
0: Oh, on the parole side, yeah, because because
1: oh, you're still working for the Department of Corrections. So yeah, you're, it, it just is infectious. It's this you know negativity and this especially with parole. You they, they don't have any rights and you have. You don't have you, you. can do warrantless searches as a parole agent. You can go into anybody's home, search anybody, their, their family members, whatever it is. You had an absolute. It was to me, it was amazing. And you, so you're
0: still an officer as a parole. I mean, yes,
1: w- yes, you're ar- Oh yeah, you're armed. Um,
0: you have an office, and yes, again, this yes. could be a whole other episode. So yeah, I'm not going to post it. But oh, you yeah. have an I can, office.
1: I can come back for that. Yeah, and the
0: the uh, the. the, the former inmates come they have to come see you in the office or? they're
1: supposed to That for the most part they don't but you you have a car and that's the hard part it's like you know your bosses are like hey go rest this guy and you're like but he's in long beach it's four o'clock it's friday <laughs> i don't care it's only 15 minutes across the 405 so oh. you're doing so much driving and trying to find these guys and family's calling you why can't you find my son come on it's la county dude yeah that, that's what we talked so you about are here. you're blamed for just about everything with parole oh my
0: gosh okay so in closing, sort of wrapping it up, going towards that direction, what are some of your main takeaways? I mean, you had reached out and you're like, I, I have some stories, you know, being a correctional officer. I, and to tell you the truth, I did not know there was a super maximum, I mean, a super max prison in Los Angeles, which in itself is eye-opening. And I don't think a ton of people know that. And I'm going to, you know, kind of bring attention to that and do an LA in a minute episode but what are some of the main messages that you kind of want to bring across or some of your main takeaways? Cause I mean, you have a lot to say we, we didn't get to everything, but I, I want to know what are some main points that so, you want people to know? Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, don't go to prison. Don't let's not commit crimes anymore. Um, but it's the prison itself is a cult just as much as the side that I worked on and you get stuck in that cult wow. and, uh, and I understand that it becomes a lifestyle because of that, and that's what we need to change. And I think the quality of life, what we're seeing right now with the homeless population, it could easily be changed. Uh, and you say easily, it can't. Oh, it could easily be changed because you could easily have uh, designated areas where people go to when they get out of prison oh, that wow. houses them. Yeah. Because what the the model that we have right now for this county is, we're going to give you a place to live, and they give you a place to live, and then they let them live there, but they don't go and check on check up on them and see you know like you can put somebody in, the, in a free place but it doesn't mean they're going to be able to maintain it themselves wow. you right. need designated right. areas I, I mean we do we are kind of seeing that with these tiny homes where you have a, a designated area but when they're getting when they're incarcerated uh, you know the DMV isn't there trying to give them an ID insurance isn't there hooking them up with insurance everything is thrown on that parole agent that just does, simply just does not have the time to do that and that could all could easily be changed. So those simple things to change somebody's life for the better could easily be implemented, and it's not there. And again, they really don't want it to be there. And if you tell them that, they don't want to hear that either. Right. So a lot of politics at play for that. Uh, but what I see from the, you know, c- people committing crimes and being incarcerated, it's un- unnecessary. A lot of it is people are upset at other things, and they're committing that crime, and then they're going to prison, and that's, that cycle continues, you know
0: sounds a lot like uh, and again, you said it's related to the homeless situation the unhoused. I mean they're they're in parallel basically and again, the cycle, the um institutions not really, let's say having the budget which really comes from prioritization in the right place and it's just like, hey, turn it it comes, it goes, you come back, never really improves, which is really really kind of a depressing uh. Way to look at it. Was there anything uplifting or inspirational?
1: Oh, absolutely, about? absolutely. I mean, it, you know, the, the guy, like one of the guys that continues to call me. He's uh, he's acting in a Tim Robbins theater. Uh, it's really, called, it's called the Actors Gang, and yeah. he goes into the institutions and teaches acting in the institutions. He was somebody that did he did seventeen years for extorting somebody over the phone. He got a long period of time. Uh, you know, i argued with him a couple times because I really saw this guy can do well, but he had been so institutionalized that he just did not, I mean, talk about not wanting to give a fuck, he just did not care. And at one point, you know, had wanted to go back and I was the one preventing him from not going back. And we, and that's stuff that we talk about and he's, he's a success story and I would like to see, obviously I wanted to see more of that, but he had potential from when he got out. He always did have potential.
0: Wow. Okay, any last words about Straight Fish? By the way, it's available on Amazon and other places, but look up Mike Knox, K-N-O-X, Straight Fish. Anything you want to say about that?
1: I know that nobody likes to read anymore.
0: I do, I do. And uh, followers, LA in a minute, in a minute with Evan Lovett we are major uh, book people, so so tell me, give me the pitch, yeah.
1: Yes, and I, I know you don't like to read and uh, <laughs> nobody likes to talk about prison, but if you want to read about prison, my book, Straight Fish, you can look it up and buy and give me a review. That'd be nice. I will
0: link to that and I'm going to review it after I read it. Um, but Mike Knox, I got to say, this is fascinating. Um, what an interesting world, interesting culture right here in Los Angeles County. I mean, I had no idea and I thank you for providing the insight, the stories, um, Really was fascinating. Mike, thank you very much. I appreciate having you here. Next time here, we'll talk about your uh, experience as a parole officer and get into some depth on that.
1: Hey, Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. So if you're from L.A. or anywhere in Southern California, you know Cerritos Auto Square and their famous slogan, they sell more, so you save more. Well, get this. A new documentary is coming out. It follows the creation of this SoCal institution, Cerritos Auto Square. And I didn't realize this, but it's the largest auto center by annual sales in the country. The documentary starts at the beginning when the area was all dairy farms. You know how I love to look back on Southern California history and its evolution. And I didn't realize how much work and innovation went into creating the world's largest auto center. I'm actually surprised... And how interesting this documentary is. There's a ton of historical footage from old Southern California, and you know I was loving every scene. So in keeping with the theme world's largest, they're hosting the world's largest red carpet movie premiere in California. The free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the amazing Cerrito Center for the Performing Arts. Attendance is free but it's limited to the first 1,600 registrations. So make sure you secure your ticket at com slash movie. Again, the free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the Cerritos Center for the Performing Arts. Free tickets can be secured at com slash movie. I'll see you there. What an episode, man. And thank you for listening. This was episode 47 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. I thought it was not just interesting, but scintillating. I got chills, literally. I'm going to even go back and listen to this again to get some of Mike's stories. So hope you enjoyed this. And if you did, please leave a five-star rating. And if you loved it and you love the show, leave a review. It's important, very important for me to get into that algorithm It takes 20 seconds, 30 seconds. If you can't find out where to leave a review, DM me. You know I always respond to DMs. But even if you don't leave a review and you don't rate it, follow and subscribe so every week you get the new episode as soon as it comes out. And if you love it, share it with a friend. Let's get this all over Los Angeles, California, United States, the world. I appreciate every single one of you. I mean that. And I wish you a spectacular week ahead. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.